0: What up, Get Up Nation? My name is Ben Biddick, the host of the Get Up Nation podcast and co author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Ernie Mariscal, a United States Army veteran who now performs motivational speaking and provides life coaching to others. More than 20,000 people follow his Facebook page at Ernie Mariscal90 where he provides motivational messages for those seeking to overcome the challenges in their lives. We discuss Ernie's childhood of abuse and homelessness and how military service awakened him to his personal value. He describes the pleasure he experienced in his ability to help even the most difficult personalities accomplish their mission, regardless of how austere the circumstances were. He provides refreshing insights into the value of authenticity during the difficult transition into the civilian world and relishes helping others develop their resilience as they face adversity in their lives. Ernie, thank you for joining me on the Get Up Nation podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell me about you, Ernie. You live in California. Yes, I live in Southern California.
1: I live about two hours east of San Diego.
0: In some of the content that you've put out, you've mentioned how you experienced trauma and homelessness as a young person. Will you share some of what you experienced as a child with Get Up Nation?
1: Yes. At five years old, I went through physical abuse. And as I was getting older, I would go through other things, such as bullying at school. But going through trauma, it's like I projected back what was going on with me, and I became a bully, and I would be physical with other kids, and it would make me feel better by beating these kids up, because I had no self-esteem. And so me being stronger than these other weak kids would make me feel better about myself. It was like kind of an addiction to me. And as I got older, my teenage years, at 16 years old, I was kicked out of my house. And I was um, basically going from friend's house to friend's house and basically really didn't have a set place to live. It was pretty rough going through things like that. And also what I did is I I got into selling drugs. And with that, it brought me so-called friends. But again, it was really nothing solid because these friends were just around me because of what I had, not because they liked me. So from there, there was one incident where one day I was at a, you can call it a crack house, and I was so hungry that day that I went into the kitchen and I grabbed a glass and I grabbed some milk to pour in that glass. And when I poured the milk into that glass, nothing but roaches came out of there. Yeah. It was pretty disgusting. <laughs> so right. I dumped the milk into the sink, you know, and then I... And it was pretty, uh, horrific for, I think I was about 17 years old at the time. And it was pretty intense when that was in my face. I asked him, don't please don't shoot me. And as he was standing there and then he laughed, sat down after that and then I just thought to myself, it's like, what am I doing? What am I doing to myself? I'm gonna just end up dead or in jail, you know? I'm not going anywhere with my life. So I need to do something. And at that time I reached out to my mom and basically she got me and then she took me to my older brother's house. Once I graduated, I joined the United States Army, and that's where my life started to change, because being a soldier is something that I was really good at, and that I took seriously, and I was very proud of it, and what the Army did, it broke me down to what they wanted me to be, because you've got to be a follower before you become a leader. Once I did that, I started learning a lot of things, and I was pretty good at it.
0: How did you come to that decision to join? Did you come across a recruiter? Was that something you just decided? Was it in the back of your mind? Did somebody recommend it to you? How'd you make that leap from that horrific moment to this is what I'm going to do? It was pretty
1: much my mom. She was like, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're not going to be around here. You're going to have to go in the army. Okay. It's kind of something like that.
0: What year was that that you joined?
1: That was in October of 1991.
0: And so what was your job in the military?
1: When I joined, I was a bradley turret mechanic and that is a bradley fighting vehicle it was basically it was a carrier for the infantrymen, and it had a a main gun on there 25 millimeter chain gun and it had a toes on there like two missiles on there and that's what i would work on i would work on the weapon systems i would work on the electrical components i would repair these things and it was very uh, challenging and that's what built me thinking and learning, being creative with what
0: you got. You started to develop that, and so you started to have a sense of pride. Did people start recommending you? Were they taking note of your skills? Tell me about that process where you started to be proud of who you were. Well,
1: I would notice that other soldiers around me, they were getting promoted. And I was like, how can I do that? How can I be better at what I'm doing? So what I would do, I would take home manuals about the Bradley. I would take them home, and I would study at night. And I would study, study, and study. I would read everything I could read about that Bradley. And I learned a lot about it. So when things would break or things would malfunction, people started asking me, hey, what do you think about this? What do you, you know? What would you suggest we do? That's when I started knowing that, again, what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. And mm-hmm. I was just determined to be the best and I always wanted to be the best. Basically, it just became a hunger after that. Once I started doing that, I just got better and better and I started getting promoted and I started running my own section. I would have soldiers under me and you know they would look up to me and I would take care of them and that was my job and I loved it, I just loved taking care of people. And that's why I started getting that motivational mindset where these guys, sometimes it would be in situations that were very grim, you know, it'd be cold, it'd be raining, it would be just be an ugly day or whatever. And you just have to figure out a way to get these guys to work as hard as they can with influencing them and, you know, just motivate the heck out of them. And they would get out there and do it, no matter if it was cold, no matter if it was raining, no matter if it was snowing. It's just getting the job done, and that's what it was all
0: about. I love that. You're building people up. Now you're taking people who are suffering and working in austere environments, and now you're building them up. So it's it's kind of a, a pretty amazing reversal there as you took pride in yourself, learned how important you were, learned what you could do. Then it sounds like you, you transitioned into really caring for others and doing the same for them instead of tearing apart, building up.
1: Yes. And it was just something to see as I was getting older in the military and I would get these younger guys and to bring them up, kind of like raise them in a way and develop them into leaders themselves. It was, it was a pride thing because after a while, they would move on and go through to other duty stations, and you would see them doing great things. And it's just like, my you know, that's part of me, you know. And the way some of these guys would call me, it's like, you know what, Sergeant Mary Scott, you know, thank you for what you did. I am doing so much now in my life. But there's just one thing that sticks out in my mind. I had this one soldier, Specialist Lopez. He was from Detroit, and he was getting bounced around from maintenance sections to maintenance sections, and none of these guys wanted him. So they sent him to me because, you know, I was kind of a strict sergeant. So (laughs) when he came to my section, you know, I was really, I was really hard on him. I was very strict and I got him into that role of being great. And I remember when it was time for him to leave and move on to his next duty station, I remember I was out at my friend's house and he called me and he was like, hey, so this is my last day here and uh, I just wanted to come by and say bye. I was like, yeah, sure thing. So he comes by and he just walks up to me and he's like, no, I want to just say thank you. You know, I never had a dad in my life and you were like the only father figure I had in my whole life and I want to thank you for that. And right now to this day, he's just doing, this guy's doing outstanding things in life and to know that I impacted somebody else, it's the best thing in the world. And that's the, the payback that I look for and that's the payback that just drives me to keep going forward.
0: You did serve overseas. My
1: first deployment is when I was in Baghdad. It was in 2004, and this deployment was very rough. It was right after the invasion, and we replaced the invasion force. And that's—I don't know if you remember back in 2004 when the insurgency kicked up. So. It was pretty. uh It was pretty wild back then. There was a lot of uh, contact enemy hitting our FOB. I remember my first day in combat. It was April first, two thousand four, and I was laying down in our cot. It was. It was probably about 10 o'clock at night, and I was laying down. I could see the moon through the top of the tent. And I was just laying there thinking, wow, you know what, I'm, I'm in war now, you know. It's just, this is crazy. I never thought I'd be here, you know. And as soon as I said that, I just see something just fly over the tent, you know, like a rocket, like, Phew! And right when that happened, I just heard that explosion, boom, and there was just so many explosions after that. Got out of the bunk, we started running for the bunker. I was standing there, rushing guys in into cover as all these explosions are going all around. And by the time the last person was in the bunker, I tried to get in the bunker and there was no more room. And I was like the only guy standing in the outside with all these things going up. And I remember the, there was a voice in the back of the bunker goes, Hey, uh, Sergeant America I think there's another bunker a uh, hundred yards that way. And, you know, I'm like, really? Everything's exploding right and You just want me to run across there? No. But that was uh, one of my first memories of being in combat. The second tour that I went on, I was a trainer, and I was training the Iraqi nationals on logistics and maintenance. So I was going all in the northern Iraq area and in the Kurdish area, just showing Iraqis how to run maintenance operations. So that's what my job was on the second tour. And it was pretty relaxing. We didn't see nothing. I've seen a lot of good men do a lot of great things while I was deployed. and. My hat goes off to them guys that that did the extraordinary things.
0: As you begin to transition out of the military, you faced a lot of challenges at that point.
1: Yes. So when I retired in 2012, after 21 years, when I retired, I just had this thought in my mind, okay, I
0: was running a
1: 73-man platoon. I had millions and millions of dollars of equipment that I was responsible for. And I, I was just responsible for so many things. I was a... E seven starting first class in the United States Army. And that is a very respected position. And when I got out, I just knew that people were gonna be knocking down my door to, to get me to, to work for them. And when I when I retired it was just like no phone calls. No nobody knocking on the door. It was nothing. That's when a lot of the trauma came back as far as my self esteem again. It was like, well, maybe you weren't good enough. You know, these voices, and I call that the voices of giving up, and they were, you know, basically starting to get louder than my positive voices, and I started drinking heavily, and it was very hard on me knowing that after all these things that I've done, that I've built, it was like nobody noticed it. It was all done for nothing. You know, the thing was, I did all those things because that's what I wanted to do. I should never expect anything in return, and... I was getting to a point where I was going through some hard times again. And I just, at some point, I just wanted to give up and end it all. I wanted to be part of the 22 Club, you know. And that's when the story of what is a veteran came out. Because I was asked, what is a veteran to you? And that takes me back to Sergeant Chatham, another incident that I had in the Army. And it just... Something that's so motivational to me, and it just brings up my spirits every time I talk about it. But um, the uh, transition was very hard for me because once I had to deal with civilians, I didn't know how to deal with civilians. I didn't know how to be a civilian at a job because all I ever knew how to do was give orders and make things happen. And now you got to follow every protocol, every. You know, law, everything. You got to just be be what the company says you got to be, and if you go outside that line, you know, there's there's repercussions for it. It was very hard for me to be a civilian, and I still still have hard times for it. But you know, I learn, I adapt. Those are some of the things that you know. Well, now I'm just going through my second marriage now, so it's um, it was something that was very hard, and, and I'm barely getting over that.
0: Did you seek out care at the VA? What was your experience like in, in dealing with the VA?
1: When I did retire. And I was going through my hard times. I did reach out for help, and I remember I went to see a mental health provider. And I want to say within five minutes, probably not even that many minutes, I went in there, and the guy asked me like three questions, and I answered them. And then he goes, "All right, I'm gonna prescribe me some um, anti-depressant pills, and you're good to go." And I'm like, "So what's wrong with me?" He was like, "Oh, you have PTSD." And I was like, "Okay, well." What do we do now? It it's like, oh, you just take this medication and you'll be get... And now it's like, is that it? That's not solving a problem. It's just putting a band-aid on a wound. So that's what I had to deal with. I did start talking to a therapist, and a lot of my childhood trauma came out when I started talking to a therapist, and also the trauma of being in combat, because in 2004 to 2005, being over there, every day not even knowing if you're going to be alive the next day, that kind of puts a lot of pressure on your on your mind and, and body. It changed me a lot. And so those were some of the things that I had to deal with with the VA. And the VA in, in San Diego, I have no, um, no bad things to say about them. They've been good for me. Cause I knew at the time there was so many guys going through the treatments and they had to hurt everybody up. And I understand that. It's just something that we got to deal with. But now I know it's a lot better. So I got to give them that.
0: What was the most helpful for you in that moment? The
1: most helpful thing was talking my experiences going into a therapist or psychiatrist, you got to be open because if you're not open, you're not going to get anything solved. And see, a lot of times, us, you know, veterans, we don't like to be weak. We don't like to just expose ourselves or be vulnerable to others, and that's some of the problems that we have. But I, you know, opened up and said what I had to say and just let it all out there, and that's when a lot of things started happening that
0: bettered my life. Is that the point where you began to really feel the value of your message and to start to speak? You wanted to share your experiences. You wanted to lift people up. You wanted to give them hope and and to motivate them. Yes,
1: I've had already four of my friends, and I'm not going to even say friends. Four of my brothers. They've already committed suicide, and I would really get upset. You know why? Why? Why is this happening? But again, a lot of us, a lot of veterans, we don't open up. We like to keep everything in. We don't want to be. And I think it's very courageous to go out and get help, agreed, and we just bottle that stuff
0: up and that 's that isolation that kills, and I just applaud yeah. I applaud you know your willingness to do the things that you 've described here, and I hope that this is something that reaches anybody who's thinking about this, who's having suicidal thoughts who is having difficulty dealing with everything that 's happened to them during their service because you are an amazing example of. Someone who selflessly served and then clung to the hope and clung to the belief that your life has value. There's a reason behind the things that are happening to you and you're going to go out and get it. And you're going to go out and achieve things. And what once was a job fixing tanks, what once was performing at a high level, then became this sense of I'm going to live. I'm going to survive. I'm going to make the most of life. A chapter in my life is starting. A chapter in my life has come to a close. But to have that bravery and that perseverance and that resilience to say, that's not it for me. I'm going to keep going. It's so admirable, and it's a message that so many need to hear. So basically, at this point, I just want to thank you for doing that and for sharing that. and for being that brave example and that brave leader, I hope it resonates with GetUp Nation. If there's any people, even if they have no military background, even if they're they're going through a transition that has nothing to do with military to civilian, but other transitions that they can know exactly. that fighting spirit, that warrior within, it says, no, I'm not going to let this end me. I'm going to actually do that frightening thing of making myself vulnerable, of, of articulating my emotions about this and, and finding some answers.
1: Exactly. And a lot of the times that I talk to people, and again, I talk to people that haven't even been in the military. And my thing is this. When I talk to them, I go, look, y'all been through some things in life, but if those things didn't happen to you, we wouldn't be who we are. That's a part of us now, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. So you can let that beat you, or you can use that as fuel to conquer everything in your path because you already beat that. And now you can just start beating every other obstacle in front of you and just keep going forward and start doing successful things in life. Just don't let that thing beat you, you know? Use it as fuel. And that's that's what I try to get my message to the people that I speak to. Yeah. And that's what I love to do. It's just, like I say, it's an addiction for me to inspire. It makes me feel good. It, it releases a lot of things for me, and it's therapeutic for me as well when I
0: speak. You forwarded me a video recently where you were speaking about a run that you took with a soldier who was new to your unit. Will you share that story yeah. here with Get Up Nation? Yes,
1: that's um, the story of what is a veteran. It was one cold morning. I was at Fort Benning, Georgia, and we were getting ready to do some physical training. But before that... I was introduced to a Staff Sergeant Chatham. And Staff Sergeant Chatham walked up to me and was like, hey, how you doing, Staff Sergeant Chatham? You know, it's like, oh, I'm doing good. You know, I'm sorry, America, are you going to be with me today? See, and and the tradition we have in the military is like, when we get a new guy, we want to smoke them, run them to the ground. And the tradition is either we make them throw up or pass out. It's it's just something that we do. So Staff Sergeant Chatham comes in, so we start doing our stretches and we roll out. We start our run. Okay, so we go on this run. It's probably about four or five miles. And as we're running, he's breathing heavily. And that's a normal thing to do as we're running. And we're going up hills, we're going down hills. We're just going through these strenuous miles. And it's... I was like, dang, this guy's not giving up. So, you know, I'm going and going. So finally we get up to this hill. And it was called the Cardiac Hill, which is in Fort Benning, Georgia. It's a pretty famous hill there. And it's called Cardiac Hill for a reason. So as we climb that, and we get back to the start point. It was like, all right, hey, how you feeling, Sergeant Chatham? It was like, you know, I'm feeling good, but it's just my legs bobbing a little bit. And I was like, okay, well, hey, at 9, we're going to go ahead and meet at the motor pool. And the motor pool is where we work because we were instructors at the time. So we meet up at 9 o'clock, and I'm already there at work. And Sergeant Chatham walking through the door. And as he's walking towards me, I can see him limping a little bit. So as he's getting closer, and I'm like, are you all right? He's like, yeah, I'm good. This is my leg bothering me a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I can go get you some tissues, you know, making fun of him. And he, you know, laughed it off a little. So he sits right in front of me, right across from me. And he bends over as he's sitting down and starts lifting up his pant leg. And as I'm watching him do this, and everything just like slowed down. And as he's doing that, lifting his pant leg, and with every inch that just exposes of his leg, I start noticing, this guy's an amputee. And all the proudness that I had started turning into guilt to as to what was I doing, you know, but I never knew he was an amputee. And then he tells me how a year prior, he lost his leg in Iraq from an RPG, a rocket propelled grenade, ripped through his his leg off, and he then told me how he had to learn how to walk again. He had to learn how to be a dad again. He had to learn how to be a husband again with one leg. Not once did he ever ask me during the run if if I could slow down. Hey, Sarmerska, can you slow down? Can you have one leg? Hey, Sarmerska, can you take it easy to have a you know fake leg? Hey, Sarmerska, can you feel sorry for me? Not once did he ever ask me to feel sorry for him, and not once did he ever feel sorry for himself doing all these things. That's when I knew that's what a veteran is, right there, right in front of me, was a veteran. We're all the same way. We are all have the same mentality where we don't give up. You know, yes, we get knocked down, and yes, we go through some tough stages in life. But we get back up, and we conquer those things. And that's what I always try to tell my guys, is that we can do anything we put our mind to. And this is the story that I use because... I was there, and I've seen this firsthand of what this veteran is capable of and what he did.
0: What message do you have for service members who are getting out of the military today and experiencing the process of transitioning into civilian life? Do you have any advice or insights? What would you like to share with them?
1: My main thing is stay focused. Take one day at a time. Stay away from alcohol. If you're feeling down, go get something that You can focus your mind on that's positive, such as reading, go to the gym, do something that's positive, do something that's going to challenge you. Go volunteer, go coach a team, go do something. If you're going to be sitting there drinking that bottle, those voices that I was telling you about of giving up are going to get louder and those voices of positivity is going to get less and less and they're going to get lower and those negatives will start being loud. And overpower those positives. And I just got to say this: keep pushing, and do not give up.
0: Ernie, I was end the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these six questions with me? Yes, sir. Who are you thankful for today?
1: I would like to thank God, because without Him, none of this would be possible for me. And I want to thank my mom and my kids. They're my fuel.
0: And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today?
1: For life. I'm thankful that life challenges me. Because without challenge, there's no growth.
0: And how do you fuel the fire within you?
1: By helping others, by inspiring others.
0: What is one thing adversity taught you to value?
1: That is a good question. And that would be to believe in oneself. Because nobody can feel sorry for you. Whatever you want to do in life, you've got to do it for yourself. And what I mean by that is, we all look for things to make us happy, but happiness is within us. And that's where you get happiness once you figure that out. And once you know that it takes you and you alone to push you across that threshold to beat that obstacle, the sky's the limit.
0: What are you doing today you never thought you could?
1: Speak in front of people. (laughs) It's just to stare out there and, and, you know, when you're speaking. And just all the eyes are looking at you. and This is like, this is awesome.
0: And what will you do tomorrow that you never thought you could?
1: Be better. Be better every day.
0: Ernie, how can people learn more about you and your work?
1: I'm on YouTube. I'm on Facebook, Ernie Mighty Scott. Please come and follow me. I'm on Instagram, Ernie Mighty Scott. Look for me. And please, if you'd like to reach out to me and I'll speak to you, I have no problems day or night helping
0: any person that needs help. That's what I do and that's what I'm here for. Thank you Ernie Mariscal for joining me on the Get A Nation podcast. Life is mysterious. All too often the world looks for the elite special ops movie star billionaire to guide us toward a magical existence free of pain and adversity. When in reality sometimes the one who leads us toward our light is a person willing to be authentic willing to come clean about their own adversity to share their failures and their fears to help us get to a place where we can do the same get up nation thank you for joining me here yet again to find those present moments where we discover the infinitely amazing world we are immersed in it's an honor to be here with you